We're going to talk this afternoon. Thanks. We're going to talk this afternoon about blood on the throne. This is, without doubt, the most important subject any pastor, any preacher can ever preach. It's sobering, and as I was preparing it, it moved me. It moved me just preparing it. it it's that sort of subject. And uh, so this afternoon, because we're technically not having any luck here, we're going to ask the Lord again to be with us and to bless us and let's pray that he will see us through because this story was being told long before they were using data projectors and um, cameras. So the Lord will be with us anyway and I pray you'll leave this place with your heart strangely warmed and, and with, a, with being compelled by the love of Jesus to follow him more closely because that's what this is all about. So let's bow our heads. Jesus, you can see that we're struggling technically this afternoon and I just want to pray that despite this that you will come down, that you'll make this message clear, that people will understand and will leave this place having been drawn to you. It's a fearsome, it's a, it's a frightening world, Lord, that we live in and we need to hear this message to give us hope and to see us through what is ahead. So thank you, Jesus, this afternoon for being here in your name. Amen. Blood on the throne. You know, we all suffer from a malady. In fact, if you're a human being and you've got blood running through your veins, if you've got oxygen in your lungs, then we suffer together from a malady called sin. And sin comes out in many different ways in each of us. We all have different sins, different things that plague us. Some people have bad tempers. They may be violent. They may have a short fuse. Some people are very impatient. You know the sort of people I'm talking about. Others are caught in moral issues. They may be struggling with adultery or fornication or pornography or immorality. These things that are just sweeping the world and destroying families and destroying people. In fact, I, I worked for a long time in, in youth work with young people. It amazes me how many, especially men, are struggling and good men, not bad men. Men that may come to church, men who may claim and, and may have a relationship with God are still struggling with this area of immorality, of pornography, of, of adultery and fornication. In fact, I've heard that over 70% of sites on the World Wide Web are dedicated to pornography. You would not have that amount of sites on the World Wide Web unless there was a market for it out there. And of course there are other things that each of us may struggle with, cheating and, and lying and dishonesty and fraud and stealing. In fact, it's amazing, isn't it, that the tax department has to hire thousands, not hundreds, thousands and, and thousands of people to go and check to make sure that we are paying our tax as we should. It's a real problem. Of course, there's other problems where sin comes out. A lust for wealth. It's staggering, isn't it? The greed in our society. The selfishness. Where almost everybody is centred on, on themselves and, and seeing that they get ahead, often to the exclusion of others. And then, of course, there's gossip and slander and innuendo, criticism, backstabbing. There's a whole heap of ways that the devil, as he's working in us, there's a whole heap of ways that these fruits of sin come out in each of us. In fact, I'm interested, if you were to go to the Bible, Romans chapter 3, verse 23, you'd see that the Bible says, and very clearly in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says how many? So let me tell you that there is not one of us sitting in this church this afternoon who has not sinned, who has not done something wrong. In fact, I'd go further and say most of us, as we sit here this afternoon, have sinned at some stage or another, have done something wrong. Okay, we'll see. Ah, oh, we've got action. Praise the Lord. Now, the problem with that 
is the Bible says that if you've sinned, now let me ask you, have we got sinners here this afternoon? If you're a sinner, let's see how you're going. Let's see your hand. Hi. I've seen some people with their hands still down. If you're a sinner, there's a problem because the Bible says all have sinned. If you're a human being, you're a sinner. And then it goes on and says, and if you've sinned, the wages of sin is is death. Now that bothers me. The wages of sin is death. If you're a sinner, you're going to die. Dying, I've always thought, is a little bit like Christmas. Christmas is coming. I'll tell you something this afternoon, so is death. And I look forward to Christmas. I'm going on holidays up to a a little place just south of Coffs Harbour on the beach. How I look forward to it and before I know it, I will be on holidays with my brothers having a great time. Death is like that. Before I know it, however God chooses it to be, I will be facing death. If you're a sinner and you're all sinners, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. And I have not met anyone yet who necessarily is looking forward or likes to die. No one normal anyway. And we've been dying for 6,000 years. And I want to tell you this afternoon that the death of every human being hurts God. He determined... Now, this is not working, so you're going to need to do it, guys. Sorry. Now it's working on the other. Oh, boy. Can we... Let's say a prayer for this technology. Would you do that for me? Lord, we're trying to do a very important program here this afternoon. And this technology is mucking up and I just want to pray that you'll come down and I pray this from the depths of my heart and that you'll take control and that we'll be able to see our way through this program to your glory. Please, Jesus, hear this prayer I pray in your name. Amen. The death of every human being, it hurts God. Yes, it does. And he determined when he saw us start to die, From the time that Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God determined that he would save us. In fact, the Bible says, and I love this text. You watch sporting, like I like to on television, sporting events all around the world. You see people holding this text up. They want the world to see it with good reason. The Bible says, talking about us dying and God determining to save us, it says, For God so loved the world, he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not die. Bible says if you believe in Jesus, you don't have to die, but will have, will have eternal life. And I want to tell you this afternoon that how Jesus saved us is perhaps the greatest reality story in the history of the earth. And I want to spend just a few moments this afternoon talking about how Jesus saved the world. Now I'll tell you something. You can go and you can listen to a lot of different presentations. You can go and do a lot of Bible studies. You can listen to a lot of preachers. But there is no more subject more important to you and your future and where you will end up than this one today. It is that important It is a simple Bible study, but it is important that you leave this place this afternoon completely at at ease in your heart about how God will save you from death. And the reason you need to know this is because you, because I, we are sinners. And we are facing death and I have been a pastor for 16 years and I've seen too many people, too many human beings go down into the grave not ready to die. And there is nothing more disturbing, more distressing for a person, for a human being than to watch someone die who's not ready to die, who's got no hope. And we're seeing an entire world out there, millions of people living for today with no hope, no hope for the future. And it's a tragedy. And so there is no more important subject this afternoon that you can study, that you can learn about than this one how Jesus saves us from death. 2,000 years ago, a little baby boy came to earth 
His name was Jesus. And the Bible, we celebrate Christmas because of this little baby boy. But it's not Christmas that matters when it comes to Jesus. It's the fact that Jesus came to save us, to save us from death. That ought to mean something to you this afternoon. And when this little baby was born in a manger, in a cattle stable, 2,000 years ago, the Bible said, and and it's, it's a beautiful story. And you can pick it up and I'd encourage you, if you've got a Bible, go home and read it this afternoon. If you haven't got a Bible, then you get one as you go out the back door, the front door. We'll give it to you for nothing. Go home and read this story. It's to do with you being saved from death. And if you want to live, you've got to be with us in this study. Bible says, talking about Jesus, and she, that's Jesus' mother, Mary, will bring forth, this was 2,000 years ago, a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people, not the people, for Jesus will save his people from their sins. Reinterpret it, for Jesus will save his people from death. This little baby boy, 2,000 years ago, didn't come so we can celebrate Christmas. He came so that we can, can escape the scourge of death. And it is a scourge. So, who is this baby Jesus who comes to save the world? Who is he? There's a lot of cliches running around about Jesus. Not just out there in the world, but in Christianity. Cliches. So many cliches running around that we've almost forgotten who Jesus is, why he came, what he did. And this afternoon, I just want to share with you for a few moments on who this baby Jesus is. And if you have your Bibles and if you don't follow on the screen, Micah chapter 5 verse 2 gives us the first hint of who Jesus might be. This is a prophecy in the Old Testament written hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus was born. I can take you to the Old Testament and I can show you hundreds and hundreds of prophecies that point to the Jesus of the New Testament. And it is an amazing Bible study. You can't read the Bible and and leave unconvicted that Jesus never existed or he was not a man of prophecy. There's something supernatural about Jesus. And the Bible says, talking about Jesus in Micah 5, 2, hundreds of years before he was born, says, but you, Bethlehem Ephratah, that's a little village that Jesus was born in. But you, Bethlehem Ephratah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, look at this, Yet out of you will come the ruler of Israel. This is Jesus, whose one whose goings forth have been from everlasting. Look at this, first point this afternoon. Jesus is pre-eternal. Jesus has no beginning. Jesus has always been. First point. Jesus has no beginning. That hurts the mind because everything that we see has a beginning. Everything in this church has a beginning. You go outside, everything in Sydney has a beginning. Everything in this world, everything in space, everything we know except Jesus Christ has a beginning. But the Bible says in many places that Jesus has no beginning. Let's find out something more about Jesus. Isaiah 9 Verse 6 and 7. This is another prophecy written hundreds, hundreds, close on 600 years, 500 years before Jesus came to earth. The prophet Isaiah, with the Holy Spirit inside his mind, inside his heart, inside his body, with God speaking to him, says, For unto us a child will be born. Unto us a son will be given and the government will be on his shoulders. This is Jesus and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. There will be no end to his government. Bible says, secondly this afternoon, that Jesus is God. Jesus is God, full stop. 
If Jesus were to walk in here this afternoon, I would fall flat on my face in worship to God. So this little baby boy who was born 2,000 years ago in a manger in the little village of Bethlehem is God. And right through the Bible, from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, the Bible is a testimony to the fact that Jesus is God. In fact, the Bible goes further in the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 19, verse 16. The Bible says, And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name. And that name is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Jesus is the supreme ruler. Jesus is the supreme being in the universe. Now let's go on because I want to give you some snapshots into the life of Jesus while he was on earth. And this is for those of you who don't know too much about Jesus. I know a lot of you already know about Jesus Christ, who he is and what he did. But there are some of us today, and I'm glad you're here, who don't know much about Jesus. The first thing, when Jesus was born, he was dedicated to God as a little baby boy. His mother and father, who are Mary and Joseph, brought Jesus to their local priest. His name was, does anybody remember his name? Simon. You remember the name of the lady who was there? There were two people in the the church, in the temple at the time. There was Simon the priest, And there was Anna and she was a prophetess. And Mary and Joseph walk in with this little baby. I don't know how it happened. But this is God in human flesh. Somehow God came from heaven, implanted himself in Mary's womb and was born as a little baby boy. But he wasn't just a normal little human baby boy. He was God. And when that priest who had never seen this baby before, had probably never seen Joseph or Mary, father and mother, took Jesus in his arms. The Holy Spirit came upon him. I imagine tears because he was an old, old man. We're running down his cheek and he says, I have seen, he's holding the baby and the Holy Spirit's on him. He says, I have seen the Saviour of the world. He's an old man. He says, now I can die. Jesus was dedicated to God as a little baby. And if you have children, you should dedicate your children as Jesus was dedicated to God. Secondly, another little snapshot of Jesus. At 12 years of age, he already knew more about the Bible than the learned Hebrew scholars of Israel. He's an amazing little boy. 12 years of age and he already knew more about the Bible. Now why? Well, because he was the one who inspired the Bible. The Bible came from his mind into the hearts and minds of the prophets and he knew more about the Bible <coughs> Excuse me, at 12 years of age than those, ain't those Hebrew scholars. And I want to tell you, go home and read the story. And I've given you the text to go to. It is a very interesting and fascinating one. Jesus was baptised when he was 30 years of age. Jesus always portrayed himself as he walked on earth as the good shepherd of all mankind. He would tell people, remember he's God. It was Jesus who made us, who made the world. And he would tell people, listen, I am your shepherd and you are my sheep and I will look after you as a shepherd looks after his sheep. He does that all the way through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, the books that tell us about his life. It's it's a beautiful thing. Another thing about Jesus that you may or may not know, and I'm a father and so I love this about my master, Jesus loves children. Yes, he does. In fact, he says in a couple of places, it would be better that a stone be put around your neck and you'd be thrown into the sea and it would be better if you sunk to the bottom of the sea and drowned than you go and hurt one of my little ones. And whenever Jesus came into contact with children in the Bible, you see he would welcome them. They would be climbing all over him on his knees, 
putting their hands around his neck and Jesus loved them and little children love Jesus. You're getting a little snapshot, aren't you, this afternoon of this Jesus. Jesus also loved fishing. Did you know that? Jesus loved fishing with his friends. Now, I don't like fishing, but Jesus did. He loved fishing with his friends, but he loved fishing for men and women for his kingdom even more. And you see Jesus in his ministry going from town to town, city to city, village to village, trying to let broken down people know that he is the saviour and he is their way of escape from the life they're in and from death itself. Jesus loved fishing. There was only once while he was on earth that the disciples, and these were his followers, were given a chance to see Jesus in all his glory as God. It's called the transfiguration, big word. But it really means that this was an opportunity that God gave Jesus' followers to see him in all his glory. And he was shining bright as the noonday sun. And Elijah and Moses, who were both in heaven, there are not many human beings in heaven, but Elijah and Moses were two, came and visited him and the, and the disciples, Jesus' followers, saw this and they saw Jesus in his glory and in his beauty and in his majesty and I guess it was God's way of saying, hey, this is the Messiah of the world. I don't know whether you know this, but Jesus loved to preach and teach in the Jewish temple or in the churches of Israel and every Sabbath, you would hear, if you lived in those times, Jesus preaching. And I'll tell you something, when Jesus preached, may not have been when, like when Lloyd preached or Clifton or, or one of the preachers here in this church where people might be looking at the clock and going, well, Lloyd, it's 10 to 12, you've got 10 minutes. You better sit down because lunch is coming. When Jesus preached, it's not like that. People would sit down and not hundreds, thousands would listen to him with rapt attention. You know that if Jesus was preaching here in this church this afternoon, do you think people would get, do you think we could get the people into the church? Do you think we would? I don't think so. There would be thousands, there would be millions lining up to hear Jesus. Jesus would walk down the street here. He would get down, he would walk down to Warunga Central, down there next to the train station and Jesus would begin to speak and as he began to speak, people, I'm telling you, it would happen because people are attracted to Jesus. This is the sort of God he is and he would begin to speak down there at Warunga opposite the train station on the corner next to the fish and chip shop. People would begin to gather round him and within 10-15 minutes of Jesus beginning to teach or preach down there in Moorunga, if he were to come, I'm telling you, there would be thousands and thousands of people, yes, here in secular Sydney, gathered around to listen to Jesus preach and teach. Jesus loved it and how I wish I could have lived to have heard Jesus teach and Jesus preach. Another little snapshot of Jesus that you may or may not know. They tried to crown Jesus... This is just before the end of his life. The Jews tried to crown Jesus as the king of Israel. They saw in him a king who could perhaps lead them to victory over the hated Romans. Jesus, and I like this about Jesus, loved to heal the blind. He loved to heal those who were lame, who couldn't walk, and the sick with his miraculous powers. Whole towns and villages would be made whole as Jesus passed through them. You know, I've just had the flu. Bad flu, I think the worst flu of my life. Oh, I was even thinking about taking some long service leave. I've got some owing, believe it or not, to try and recover. Oh, how I wish Jesus could have just walked into my bedroom as he did in those days and gather my hand and say, Lloyd, be well. But I have church members, some of them who are very sick. And how I wish all the more that Jesus could go into their hospital beds and hold their hands and bring them back to health and strength. It mustn't have been an amazing thing to live and see Jesus in action. 
Jesus not only healed the sick, Jesus, and this is unbelievable, but it's true and there are several occasions in the Bible where it happened. Jesus was able to raise the dead. You better believe it. It's the truth. Just before Jesus died, he instituted a special meal to remember him by and many Christian churches still celebrate it where they take unfermented wine and drink it to remember his blood and they take unleavened bread without yeast in it and they eat it to remember his body, his sacrifice for us. But you know we could go on, in fact uh, one of the Bible books says if all the things Jesus did were to be written in the books of the world, he says I guess there wouldn't be enough books to hold it. And we could go on and on this afternoon about Jesus looking at snapshots into his life. I would encourage you, go home and read the story of Jesus when he walked on this earth. You can find it in Matthew, Mark, Luke or John. And we could go on, but the thing I guess we need to know more than anything else is that Jesus loves people, all sorts of people. Jesus, and this is a fact, loves everyone. He loves everyone. And it was Jesus' deep love for humanity that compelled him. It compelled him to save it. And for the last few minutes this afternoon, I want to share with you how did Jesus save the world? And this is where the important part kicks in today. How did Jesus save the world? In other words, how did Jesus save you. Now I'm about to show you what I think is the most important text in the Bible. And it's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21. And it reads like this, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin. You see, Jesus was perfect, never committed a sin. Let me stop for a minute. How many of you have committed a sin at some stage or another in your life? Put your hand up high. How many of you committed a sin today? (laughs) One of our elders has got his hand up. Praise the Lord for honesty, Peter Brandling. (laughs) Shall we ask your wife what that sin was? (laughs) Jesus never sinned. He was perfect. Now look at this. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us. Now you stay with me today, this is life eternal what I'm telling you now. So that in him Jesus we might become the righteousness of God or we might become saved. I want to just look at the next text, it says the same thing. He Jesus bore the sin of many. I want to show you something here this afternoon. Lance, I want you to come up here brother. And Doreen, I want you to come up. They don't know about this. But Lance is the sinner. He represents the sinner this afternoon. That's probably a good thing, Lance. And Spot on, he says. And if you come across here, Doreen, now this is only to represent. I know you've got a character like Jesus too. Doreen represents Jesus. What the Bible is saying here is that Lance takes his sins, in two hands because there's plenty of them, Lance, and he does what with them? He gives them to Jesus. He said that's a pleasure. Now you sit down there, you two, just there because I haven't finished with you guys. I want to show you the text again if I can go back. God, look at it, this Oh, I can't tell you how important this is. It's easy, isn't it, to sit in programs like this and hear about all the things that are going on in the world and how the world's collapsing around about us. And it is. How how, how there are disasters and famines and wars and there are. And it is interesting and it is compelling to listen to it. But sometimes we struggle with this, this, This stuff, which is important, this is what really matters. If you get nothing else out of this series, and how grateful I am that you are here this afternoon, but if you get nothing else out of this series, you need to get this. This is what will save you. 
This is what will see you not have to face eternal death, which in the Bible is called the second death. The first death, yep, you're going to have to face it probably. Some of us older ones will face it sooner than, than, than some of the younger ones, hopefully. We pray that that will be the case. Everybody must face the first death, which is death on this planet. But you don't have to face second death, which is eternal death, because we know if you've come to this series, you know already that when Jesus comes the second time and the sky bursts open, that he will raise the dead from the first death to go to heaven, those who love him, to be forevermore with him. We will never be separated from our Jesus then. You don't want to have to face the second death though, and that's the death of the wicked. And this is how you escape it. The Bible says God made Jesus, look at it, who had no sin, praise God, or he couldn't do this, to be sin, not to take our sins, but the Bible says to be sin for us so that in him, Jesus, we might become the righteousness. We might, all that means is that we might then be saved. Saved from what? Eternal death. Eternal death. That's why the Bible says he bore the sin of many. Now let me share something with you. Um, And I think this is important. Jesus took the sins of the entire world. That's your sins. Well, it's my sins and there's plenty of them. Talk to my wife. He took the sins of the entire world of anybody who has ever lived and he paid the death price for those sins. Remember, for the wages of sin is what? Someone has to die. That is an eternal rule of God, the omnipotent one, of Jesus himself. He said, if you sin, you disconnect yourself from me. I am the life giver. He said, you will die. There has to be a death price paid for our sins. You are a sinner. I am a sinner. There has to be a death price. And the Bible says Jesus took the sins of the entire world upon himself and then he paid the death price for them. Now, how did he do that? I have an uncle, Jeffrey, love him, he lives on the north coast of, well, he lives on, on, he's north of Brisbane in Mullaney, up in the mountains, beautiful place. He's allergic to bees. If a bee stings my uncle, and I remember a bee did sting him once, You know what he has to do? Rush to the hospital as soon as he can for anti-venom. If he doesn't, there's every chance that my uncle will die. He is allergic to bee stings. Have we got anyone else who's allergic to bee stings here today? Is there anyone? No? Well, you're fortunate. My daughter, if you go to this church, you'll know because I've said it a number of times, is allergic to... oh. I feel so sad for her. She's allergic to peanut butter or peanuts. And if she is to eat peanut butter or peanuts, and that is my daughter, and praise the Lord, she looks like a mother and not me. If she eats peanut butter or peanuts or anything with a, that's got a peanut substance in it, it equals death for Danae. And I want to tell you that we have this What's it called, Dian? That plunger thing. EpiPen. That has, I guess, some drug in it so that if (coughs) her mother would never do it, but her father is more than likely to accidentally give her something with peanuts in it. In fact, I've done it three, four, maybe half a dozen times already. Uh, I tried desperately to remember. It's not so much remembering. There are there are things you know that you can buy from the shop these days, and you don't even know they've got peanuts in them. But but if she has a bad reaction, then we uh, get the EpiPen. I think this is Diane has told me how to do this. So I pray to the Lord I never do have to do it. And we plunge the EpiPen into her arm. Is that right, sweetheart? It is into her arm, isn't it? Something like that. In, no, it's not into a vein, is it? I wouldn't know how to find a vein. <laughs> it's into her arm and, and, and whatever it is goes into her veins and will save her life. My uncle's allergic to bee stings. If he doesn't get to hospital, it's a fact he will die. My daughter is allergic to peanuts, to peanut butter, to anything made from peanuts and if she does not get this EpiPen or to the hospital, she will die. I want to tell you something today. 
understand this, that Jesus is allergic to sin. He is perfect. He is allergic to sin. And when this miracle was enacted, where God the Father took the sins, that's yours, that's mine, of the entire world, gathered them up and took them and it was a miracle and I can't tell you technically, I can't tell you theologically how this happened, I can just tell you that it happened when God the Father took those sins and he dumped them on Jesus, it was more than Jesus could take. He is allergic to sin. Sin kills the master. Sin kills Jesus. And when these sins were taken and dumped on Jesus, he began to die. He began to die immediately. Look at what the Bible says. Jesus is in in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is not working again. There you go. I'm using a different one now. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. A couple of hours before he was arrested and crucified. We'll look at that in a moment. He's in the Garden. He hasn't been tortured. He, he, he hasn't been in any way harmed physically. But this miracle where God the Father took the sins of the world and dumped them upon Jesus, and the word is dumped, had already occurred. Look what is happening to Jesus. Read the text with me very carefully. The Bible says, Then he said, this is Jesus, Then Jesus said to his disciples, he's talking, who were in the garden with him, he was preparing to be crucified, but the sins of the world had already been put upon his perfect heart. You could say he had already been stung by the bee. The allergic reaction to sin was already happening. And the Bible says, Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here, he said to his friends, and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, Oh my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. I can't bear these sins, said Jesus. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. See what the Bible says? My soul, says Jesus, he hasn't been put on the cross yet, is exceedingly sorrowful (coughs) even unto death. Let's go a little further. He's still in the garden. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven and strengthened him. Why did God have to send an angel? Because if God had not sent an angel... The sin was upon him. The allergic reaction was in its process. If God had not sent an angel, Jesus would have died and he would have died in the garden. The Bible says that an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthened him. And him, even after an angel had strengthened him, and him, Jesus, being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Now look at this. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down on the ground. So intense was the agony of your sins and my sins on Jesus' perfect heart that he began to sweat drops of blood. I want to tell you something that the passion, that film that Mel Gibson made that so famously went round the world, it was wrong. And it was wrong theologically. All they looked at in that film was the violent death of Jesus Christ, the physical pain, the torture that he was put through. I want to tell you today that the physical torture and the physical pain had nothing to do with Jesus dying. It did not. And that's why that film was wrong theologically and I believe did damage to God's cause. Because it was not the physical suffering of the cross that killed Christ, rather it was the sins of the whole world. And it's why it's ridiculous to blame the Jews for crucifying Christ. They didn't crucify Christ, you did. And I did. And it was our sins that bowed him down and killed him. Look at this. This is Jesus' death now. He's arrested. He's taken into Pilate's court and there he is, the king of the universe, dishonoured. The Bible says, And they clothed him with a purple and they twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head and they began to salute him. Hail, king of the Jews. Dishonouring 
the king of the universe. Then they struck him on the head with a rod and they spat on him. And bowing the knee, they worshipped him. And when they had mocked him, they took the purple off him and they led him out to crucify him, dishonouring the creator of the world, dishonouring the mighty God of the universe as he not only was he burdened down with our sins but he was now being tortured physically but I believe that the physical torture was almost, almost Jesus didn't feel it because what was, what was, what was bowing Jesus down and killing him was our sins. How did Jesus save the world? The Bible says, Now when they led him away, they laid hold of a certain man, Simon a Cyrenian, who was coming from the country, and on him they laid the cross of Jesus that he might bear it after Jesus. They didn't, Jesus was not so physically wounded that he could not carry the cross. Jesus was on his knees, bowed down in the street, dying. He was dying. He wasn't dying because of the crown of thorns. He wasn't dying because his, his, his back had been laid open by a whip. He wasn't dying because he'd been spat upon and dishonoured. Jesus was dying because he had your sins and my sins, the whole sins of the world, upon his spotless heart and he could not live with these sins. And so what does the Bible say as it brings this story to a close? It says, now it was, now look at this, this is very important. Now it was the third hour and they crucified him. And the inscription of his accusation was King of the Jews. So it was at what hour? What hour? Now follow me. Now when the sixth hour, what hour? How many hours have gone by? Now when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the land until the ninth hour. So from the third hour to the ninth hour, how many hours have gone since Jesus has been crucified? Six. And at the ninth hour, so, so this unnatural, Jesus is on the cross. Make no mistake, he is dying. He began to die the night before in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is now in the final throes of death. It seems like nature itself is mourning the death of her creator because the Bible tells us that an unnatural darkness came across the earth. You can imagine the scene. This is the king of the universe. He is dying. He is paying the death price for our sins. And the Bible says in verse 34, and at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the problem with sin. It's why Jesus was dying because he had been separated from his father. The connection that they had had for eternity. Stop and think about it. A billion trillion. My little girl says to me, What's the biggest number, Lloyd? I say a gazillion. Well, there's no such number, is there? But she thinks there is. A gazillion years ago, the father and the son were together. They had never been separated by anything. In fact, they are of the one substance. Do a study on it sometime, it's interesting. They have never been separated. And here is Jesus on the cross without whose sins? My sins. And you know what they did? They separated Jesus from the Father and it was killing him. And he doesn't cry out, my God, my God, why are you letting me go through this physical pain? He cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you separated yourself from me? I'm dying. And as he cried these words out, in what hour? And Jesus cried out in the ninth hour with a loud voice and breathed his last and 
died. It took Jesus how many hours to die on the cross? Six. Now, I'm a great studier. Well, I'm not a great studier, but I love to study ancient history. And there is an ancient historian by the name of Josephus. And Josephus said it would take, do you know how long it would take to normally die on a cross? Anywhere from two to seven days. And he gives a terrible, and it really is a terrible description of what physically happens to a person on a cross. Where finally they die of asphyxiation, where it is too painful to push up and it's too painful to, to, to hang and, and so they actually die of asphyxiation on the cross. He took, it's horrible. He talks about how the birds had got to know and that people who were being tortured on a cross were helpless and would come down and, and pick the eyes out of the people who were being slaughtered on the crosses. In fact, when Jerusalem fell in AD 70, thousands of Hebrew warriors this is 40 years after this story, were crucified by, by the general, the Roman general Titus on crosses. The, 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 the history book says that the crosses disappeared off into the sunset, over the horizon. It was a painful, a dreadfully painful way to die. What made it so painful was that it took so long. It wasn't a short way to die, it was a long, long way to die and yet here's Jesus 33 years of age in his prime. He was a good physical specimen and he was put on the cross and the Bible says that he was put on the cross in the third hour. When did he die? What hour? He was only on the cross for six hours. What happened? I'll tell you what happened and I've said it this afternoon and I'll say it again. Jesus was dying before he was put on the cross. Jesus began to die because he began to have a reaction against our sin in the Garden of Gethsemane. When Jesus was called in to Pilate's hall, when he went through the, 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 when he went through the torture, when he went through the physical pain, when he was dishonoured, Jesus was in the process of death. And when they put him up on the cross, he only survived six hours because our sins had killed him. So if I can get you guys to stand up again, I just want to show you very quickly what happened. And it is as simple as this. This is the practicalities. This is how you escape death. You sin a lance, up on your knees. And he's talking to the Lord, truly now. And he bows his head and he says, Dear Lord, I am a sinner. Take these sins and forgive me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Is it hard? Dear Lord, I am a sinner. Take these sins. Forgive me. That is it. Amen. I don't know why we got this concept, this idea that being saved is so hard. It is a simple thing. Jesus, I am a sinner. Take these sins. Forgive me. And Jesus, now... Doreen's not Jesus. Again, I want to stress that. But she's representing something here. Takes those sins and he takes them to the cross and he pays the penalty for them. And because, do they belong to Lance now or do they belong to Jesus? And who paid the price for them? You've got to believe it. Jesus did. Is Lance now a sinner? He's a saved sinner because he gave his sins which couldn't kill him to who? To Jesus. And Jesus paid for them on the cross. You guys can sit down. And that is the power of what we're talking about this afternoon. Not look, I'll bring this to a conclusion. Not only did Jesus live a good life and he did, but he didn't come to lead a good life. He came to save you. And only God could do it. Only God who made the world, only God who was perfect could do it. And he came down and he physically took your sins and he died for them. But the great thing is the Bible says that our Saviour and our Master, our God Jesus did not stay in the ground. 
You go home and read the story in Mark 16 how Jesus burst from the tomb into life with power and glory. He had paid the price for our sins and now he is alive and he is alive forevermore. How do I know he's alive? Because he's living in my heart. I'm talking to him and hearing him every day. He's convicting me and he's compelling me and he's drawing me to him with his love. And you know, Jesus in this church this afternoon puts out a call to you and he says, come to me all you who are labour, all you who labour, that's all of us, that's just saying come to me all you who are sinners, come to me all you who labour and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. He says take my yoke upon you and learn from me. He says look, Come to me. I will carry your sins. I will take them. He says, I am gentle and I am meek and merciful in heart and and you will find rest for your weary souls. This is beautiful. For my yoke, my way is easy and my burden, what I ask you to do is light. Jesus says, come to me. I will carry your sins. I will pay the price for you. And he calls you to do what Lance just did then, tonight. He calls you to do it tonight before we leave. And I wonder if we could just bow our heads because I want to make a little call on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ. Could you just bow your heads? Father, Jesus, we come before you this afternoon. Just for a few moments we've looked at what you did for us 2,000 years ago. It deserves God more study and we need your help, your supernatural help to aid us as we try to understand, God, what happened on the cross and what you actually did for us. But this afternoon, God, in this church, I'm just praying that you are calling people to accept you and to allow you this afternoon in this church right now to be your save to, to be our saviour, their saviour. God I just pray that in the quiet of the room, if there is anyone whose heart is open to you, that you will talk to them right now with your spirit. I pray, God, that you will call them to follow you. And if you are in the church this afternoon and you are hearing God call you right now, I want you in your heart to repeat this prayer with me. Jesus, I am a sinner. I come to you and I give you my sins. And I thank you for praying, for paying the death price for them. Tell me more about you, Jesus, and open my heart to follow you all the way. Is my prayer in your name. Amen.